0: Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is eight seven seven nine seven Eric 877-973-7425 If you would like to be a part of this here program, as I promised at the end of the last hour, I want to start with phone call here uh, all the way up to Michigan. Tony is calling. Welcome to the program, Tony. Hey, uh, thank you for taking my call, Eric. Um, sure. You we're just talking. To, you were just talking about uh, abortion and the Supreme Court weighing the Mississippi case. What do you think would be a least bad outcome uh, of the decision for America? And what I mean is when you discussed this previously, it sounded like um, if Roe Wade is not overturned, then the conservative movement and pro-life movement would consider this a failure. Um, but if it is overturned, that would presumably kick it back to the states where some states have trigger laws that will make abortion legal up until the moment of birth. And that doesn't sound like really a win for the pro-life uh, movement because those who want an abortion can just presumably travel across state lines to get their uh, late-term abortion. So, given that of yeah. the considerations of the, you know, the legitimacy of the court and the polarization of our country, what, what really would be a least bad outcome for America? Um, you know, honestly, um, I kind of do think it, it is that one. And, and let me explain why. Uh, I don't think, to the extent either side is involved in the situation— that either side realizes how little will change if Roe versus Wade goes away. When people talk about Roe versus Wade, they pour into it enormous importance. And for some people who've staked their lives on it, it it is enormously important. Some have staked their lives on its preservation. Some have staked their lives on, on its eradication. But the reality is, the truth is, very little nationally will change if Roe versus Wade goes away. Just think about it. In progressive states, by and large, it's already abortion on demand until uh, the child is born. Up until the moment of birth, in a great many blue, very blue states like California New York, you can get an abortion up until the moment a child is born. In conservative states, it is exceedingly difficult already to get an abortion. Texas has very few abortion clinics already, and those that it does have, uh, the costs and all involved, the regulation involved already, make it very difficult to have an abortion. Mississippi has one abortion clinic. Georgia has very few abortion clinics. It's very hard already in most states to get an abortion, even in swing states. Swing states tend to lean pro-life, and abortion is very regulated there, uh, and so it's very hard to get an abortion. Even in states like, well, let's just take Mississippi, where the Dobbs case comes from. There's one abortion clinic, so you want an abortion. It's hard to get there, but also there's this aspect that doesn't get talked about. Uh In the era of Roe v. Wade, uh, promiscuous sex leading to pregnancy, irresponsible sex, uh, was very, very high in this country. Young people at this point in this country are not having sex at the rate they were in the 1970s. Birth rates are on decline. Uh, Teen pregnancy is not ended, but at an all-time low. So there isn't really even a need to have abortions in this country if you view it as a need, it just doesn't exist. So the reality is that you go, get rid of Roe versus Wade tomorrow, the on-the-ground situation is not going to change all that much. Now, ultimately, what will happen politically, the fallout therefrom will be some states will go to ban abortion altogether. Most states won't. Even in a lot of Republican states where Republican members of state legislatures claim to be pro-life, you will find that there will be some hesitation to ban abortion altogether. A lot of states will settle on a life of the mother and uh, a rape exception. Some states will avoid the rape exception. Some states won't be able to get anything passed but for the rape exception. And otherwise, you won't see a big status quo change that the media does a very bad job of covering that the media does a very bad job of talking about that in large part because the media is very pro-abortion the anchors on CNN aren't really going to cover this outside of hysterically because they are so pro-abortion but whether you go to Indiana or North Carolina or Mississippi or Louisiana or Texas or Florida it's Hard to find the abortion clinic. There aren't a lot of them. You go to a pro-choice state like Colorado. In college campus towns you will see a local Planned Parenthood. but they're still few and far between and they can only do so many abortions a day. And they don't see a lot of clients. You know your, your average Planned Parenthood outlet on a college near a college campus, is more likely to be distributing condoms and birth control, other forms of birth control than performing abortions simply because college kids these days are more likely to use birth control and less likely to have sex generally. It's not that it doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen very frequently anymore to have an out-of-wedlock teen pregnancy. So I just think that the best solution for the Supreme Court is actually to get rid of Roe and show people the hysteria has been overblown. Show people, in fact, that uh, the states can decide these matters and respect the democracy of the states. And frankly, it takes a huge issue out of the national conversation. It'll take some time for it to get out of the national conversation. For a while, there'll be a big effort to impose abortion values across the country. That actually helps Republicans, by the way. Uh, Overwhelmingly, this country is pro-life. You know what? A majority of Americans don't want to end Roe versus Wade, but the overwhelming majority of Americans, something like 56% of Americans want to ban abortion after 15 weeks, which is actually outside the position of the Democratic Party that wants abortion on demand until the very last day of pregnancy, or up until the moment the child passed through the birth canal on the day of pregnancy. It's the Democrats who are actually out of lockstep. Now, to a degree, if I'm honest, I am out of lockstep with Americans as well because I would love to have a ban on abortion. Most Americans don't want it banned until after 15 weeks. If there must be a reasonable compromise, that is a reasonable compromise. But I'm unreasonable when it comes to this issue because I'm pro-life and believe that every life is precious, including the life of the unborn. and We should ban abortion except unless the life of the mother is on the line. And if I have to add a rape perception, I will to get the legislation passed. But I'm in the minority and I know I'm in the minority. Democrats, however, think they're in the majority on the issue and they're not. And that deeply impacts their uh, their setup moving forward, their, their positions moving forward, and it puts them outside the mainstream of America. This is part of the problem that Democrats have to overcome with their uh, base is that The progressive talking points of the day and the progressive positions of the day tend to be outside the mainstream of America across the board. Now, I spent way more time answering that question, um, and that's okay. I'm happy to answer it. I'm happy to answer your questions as well, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. But I got to move on to what I really wanted to talk about. Because I had a topic I've been dying to talk about all day. And it's time. Have y'all paid attention to the Jesse Smole trial? Oh my gosh, this is comedy gold. So I like succession on HBO. You got to get over the language because the language is horrible. If you don't, if you haven't heard of succession, and you probably have. Um, I'm worried about the future of HBO, but I, Succession is gold standard. Frank Rich, the progressive writer, uh, is one of the executive producers of it. He's got Andrew Ross Sorkin from CNBC involved as well. And it's kind of a retelling. It's most specifically about the Murdochs, but also, um, oh, what's their names? Uh, the, the CBS, the Sumner Redstone family, and some of these other big billionaire families. And it is a, it's essentially King Lear for the digital billionaire set. The father is a megalomaniac billionaire owner of a media empire. And his children are both abused and abusive themselves. They are malcontented rich kids. And I got to tell you, it makes me feel sorry for people who have that much money. Because that much money is as often a curse as it is a blessing and this family is completely rotted by the money now the the one of the there's not really a protagonist in the show they're all terrible people but one of the the kids the middle kid Kendall roy is his father's natural successor except he's had a drug addiction problem he killed the guy the dad helped him cover it up it's a mess. And one of the things is that uh, Roy doesn't realize he's a joke. He hangs out with people who mock him behind his back, and he thinks he's being cool. He doesn't, he's not in on the joke. He is the joke, and he doesn't realize he's the joke. Thus, we come to Jesse Smollett, Smollett whatever you want to call him. Kyle Smith in the New York Post, not since Stilskin. Has a mischievous troll spent so much time and energy spinning as Jesse Smollett did on the stand the last couple of days. But instead of spinning straw into gold, Smollett spent eight hours trying to churn what the New York Times used to call a barnyard epithet into a frappuccino. We'll see if the jury is interested in drinking what Smollett is putting out. Rumpel Smollett claims that there were these two guys he used to chill with, one of whom took him to a gay bathhouse for a stimulating exchange or two, who just two days after partaking of some dope smoking in Smollett's Mercedes, decided to enact the world's most overdetermined hate crime against him, using not just the N-word and the F-word, but also carrying a symbolic bottle of bleach and a symbolic noose. Black guys do this to other black guys all the time, apparently. Gay guys do this to other gay guys all the time, apparently. But all at the same time, at 2 a.m. on a frigid night? According to Smollett, his attackers are both the most industrious hate criminals in history and also the laziest, having run away after what Smollett said was a 30-second onslaught without even bothering to rob him or leave him with any injuries requiring more treatment than the smallest Band-Aid in the box. And who yells, this is MAGA country in Chicago? You might as well shout, who wants to sing selections from Gypsy? Next time you're at a Talladega super speedway. If you're really blinded by hate, you don't need to flash so many indications to any onlookers. You just pull the tab on your can of whoop ass and get to work. Oh, did Jesse Smollett recall that he had told the cops the attackers were white? Well, yeah, he told the prosecutors. But he also said they were pale because it was, he testified, the responsible thing to do. Inclusivity is important when you're alleging a heinous attack and you wouldn't want light-skinned people of other races to feel marginalized. Asked by Special Prosecutor Dan Webb whether he had invoked whiteness to attract attention, you'd have to ask someone who did a fake hate crime, Smollett complained. That's exactly what Webb was doing. The moon who carried out the middle school talent show version of a fake hate crime Abimbola and Olabingo Olsendario are Nigerian, are not particularly pale, so that alone was his false statement to the police. Smolet could have pled guilty two years ago, been punished with a light brush on the knuckles, and been well on his way to becoming the Great American Redemption story by now. Instead, he's unemployed indefinitely, ridiculed equally by black and white Americans, particularly because he staged a hoax, but mostly because he wouldn't stop being such a guts about it. He suggested the motive for two guys to take two cabs on a frigid night for the purpose of spending 30 seconds gently tapping his face was to convince him to hire them later as bodyguards. Why risk going to prison to extract money from Smollett though, if he had already paid them $3,500 for diet and exercise tips as came out at trial. Smollett yesterday, you should know as well, uh, when the prosecutor was reading Smollett's text messages, to the two Nigerians that were complete with the N-word repeated over and over and over and over again, asked the prosecutor to please stop saying the N-word because it might upset people in the crowd. They're watching history. The, the whole thing has been ridiculous. This guy does not realize he is a joke. He is the Kindleroy Roy of failed criminal aspirants. It's embarrassing that this thing has even gone to trial. And this guy should be embarrassed, but he has no shame. And that's, that's something I'm just, I, I'm, I continue to be impressed by, are the number of people in this country at this moment, at this level, who just have no shame, no sense of shame, and no one can tell them, dude, you're an embarrassment. We should be embarrassed for this guy, but then why? He's given us the entertainment we need at a time where there isn't a lot to laugh about. He himself is a deeply funny person who I hope will go to jail. You are struggling right now. Well, you should be, because I am. What am I going to get people for Christmas that I love? What am I going to get myself? Well, there are lots of things you can do. And one of the things you can do is considering how much time we sleep and stay in our beds, consider gifting Bull and Branch. My gosh, their sheets are comfortable. My wife was so excited when I told her that Bull and Branch was going to be an advertiser because she's been hearing about their sheets, and she wanted some, and we bought some. And then they sent us some and gosh, she knew she was getting that second pair and she loves them. We have Bowl and branch on most of the beds in our house now. And all the time people ask us when they stay at our house, what exactly it is? Where do we get our sheets? Because you can feel the difference. They are very soft. You know, that they've got a good snug feel to them, but they're also very soft. You can tell they've got a high thread count. I really, really do like these things. They are very soft They've got organic cotton weave. They feel incredible all season long, every season, from twin size beds to California Kings. Treat yourself and your loved ones to the new standard embedding from Bowling Branch. Their gifts come wrapped and ready in their special holiday packaging. If you order by December 19th, you get guaranteed delivery for Christmas. Best deals of the year are going now from December 6th, to December 8th with promo code ERIC, E R I C K, at bullandbranch.com. That's bull, B O L L, and branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E R I C K. Exclusions may apply. You're going to want bull and branch. Yes, you are. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. Um, you know, following up on this this Jesse Smollett thing, what, one of the things that I continue to be interested in is, particularly during the Trump administration, how many people alleged hate crimes, and they were the perpetrator of the crime. You remember, this has happened in New York, it's happened in Atlanta, it's happened uh, various places in California and the like. You had people claim someone uh, wrote a slur or vandalized in some way as to, to be a hate crime, and then it turned out it was that person looking for attention. And every single time, celebrities and politicians fell for it because of Donald Trump. And it's like Smollett, you had this rush of celebrities out there and members of the media, pundits coming out and say, oh, of course this happened, how terrible this happened. Of course, it was Donald Trump supporters immediately believed it. And it took forever to walk back and say, oh, maybe this guy was 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 not right. And then, of course, there's real crime out there that they turned a blind eye to. The mayor of Chicago, who was originally on Smollett's side, you know who she's blaming for crimes in Chicago? the businesses that are being broken into. Some of the retailers downtown in Michigan Avenue, I will tell you, I'm disappointed that they're not doing more to take safety uh, and make it a priority. For example, we still have retailers that won't institute um, plans like having security officers in their stores, uh, locking up uh, their merchandise at night, chaining high-end bags. These purses seem to be something um, that is attracting a lot of attention on these organized retail uh, theft units. So because they're not locking up the way she wants them to, they're to blame. Uh, even Jen Psaki is pushing back on AOC and, and Mayor Lightfoot on some of her the, the crazy statements they're making about crime. Um, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, appeared to pass some blame on to retailers uh, for these smash and grabs, saying that she's disappointed that these stores are not putting security officers in place and working cameras and chaining up high-end bags. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Congresswoman, said earlier this week also that she doubted allegations of organized retail thefts. Uh, She believed it was a Walgreens in California that cited it, but the data didn't back it up. Does the President believe that organized retail theft is really happening and should it be on the stores themselves to take action to prevent it? Well, we, we don't agree. And I think our actions uh, and the work uh, that we have had Uh, in working with the Justice Department, the FBI, and federal law enforcement show that we take um, We've seen some of these extremely video uh, extremely disturbing videos showing retail thefts and both major retailers as well as state and local leaders like Governor Newsom have identified this as a serious concern. We agree Uh, That's the reason why we have um, sent additional support uh, from the FBI providing additional assistance. It's one of the reasons why we have also been uh, the president and members of our administration have been long time Advocates for uh, supporting and funding the COPS program, something where the president proposed almost 300 million in additional uh, assistance through his budget from what it was last year. There you have it. Um, the The left can't come to terms with what's happening now, and they know it's going to hurt them. There's more and more data out there. About the crime wave is going to be a huge issue for Republicans next year, and the Democrats can't figure out how to get a handle on it. For several years, when I practiced law, I volunteered for the Alliance Defending Freedom to be an on-call lawyer for them. It's one of the few legal nonprofits in the country that really racks up wins, both state courts and federal courts, for conservatives and Christians. People who have a Christian conservative worldview. Since leaving my law practice, I volunteered in the past to speak at ADF events. I've been to their training sessions where they teach lawyers and pundits how to talk plainly about complex legal issues and understand the state of play on cases around the country from local city councils all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now I'm glad to have ADF as an advertiser, but honestly, I'd be encouraging you to support them this time of year anyway. The Alliance Defending Freedom takes donations from you and uses them to help those who can't afford lawyers hire the very best lawyers to fight for freedom from the Supreme Court of the land all the way down to the local level. Right now, ADF has received a matching grant, so all new donors will have their gifts matched. All you have to do is go to adflegal.org slash erickson today and donate. ADFlegal.org slash erickson. E-R-I-C-K S O N. Hi there, it is Eric Erickson. Here the phone number, eight seven seven nine seven Eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. Yeah, I'm sorry. I apologize. I got to talk about Omicron for just a minute. Omicron, Omnipicron, I mean, people just, they can't even pronounce it. There's a lot of data out now, and I want you to know about it. uh, Fill you in on what's happening here. Number one, it does appear that vaccines are not as effective against it, but uh, natural infection plus the vaccine or the vaccine plus the booster does seem to have a positive effect on uh, preventing you from getting infected. So uh, natural infection, I think we're going to hear more about as as people have long been pointing out on the right and only now on the left, uh, people who are naturally infected don't necessarily need to get uh, another round of vaccines, maybe just the one shot. Uh, Although your natural immunity does wane after a while, I just... Think we're probably rapidly now getting to the point of frustration with even some progressives out there who are starting to realize hey, you know what? Maybe we need to think about public policy differently. I mean, the reality is if it's true that the Omicron variant, and it appears to be true, is more contagious, but far less deadly, far less severe or serious in symptoms than the Delta variant or the Alpha variant or the Beta variant or Uh, the Lambda variant or the other variants, um, it should be okay for us to get this, particularly when the data shows us that uh, either vaccines plus booster or natural immunity plus booster really does help you from getting it. Maybe go on. This is the one we want people to get. If they're going to get a a variation of COVID, let them get this one because it appears to be not nearly as strong so far. Now, keep in mind, this is so far because there's still a lot of outstanding data out there. But I, so I was reading a story in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution about a professor at a college not far from me, Georgia College and State University. The professor is quitting and is quitting because of the Omicron variant. The university system in Georgia has essentially insisted it's time to go back to normal, as they should, as the data permits, as the data shows is reasonable. And this professor, unfortunately, is still living in fear of the virus. And essentially says, if the Omicron virus is bad, and if he decides he needs to go to remote learning, the university system would step in and discipline him for doing so for hypotheticals. So now I, I bring this up and, and what's going on is, is uh, I will, we'll, we'll leave names out of this one probably because it'll make life easier. Um, I'm being texted about someone who has a plumber at their house and the neighbor who is texting me can hear the homeowner berating the plumber for not being vaccinated. And uh, the homeowner is insisting on staying outside so that she doesn't die while the plumber is inside, which I just find to be ridiculous. If you know anything about the virus and how it spreads and the like, uh, you shouldn't have to worry about that. But here we are. Now, here's this. Uh, Again, yeah, Georgia College State University faculty member James Schiffman resigned this week, leaving a job he loved and expected to remain at for at least two more years. A veteran journalist who worked at CNN and the Wall Street Journal, Schiffman quit over COVID-19 policies that he believes endanger faculty, staff, and students at Georgia's public colleges. The primary thing is the Omicron variant and the prospects of going through this whole business again in January, said Schiffman, who's been at Georgia College and State University for a decade. Listen listen to this. This is, this is the key here. I'm double vaccinated and boosted, so this doesn't stem from great personal worry. But if Omicron is bad, or it turns out the vaccine doesn't work quite as well, I could see myself in January taking my courses online, in which case the administration would crack down on me quickly. Omar Oday, Georgia College State University's associate vice president for strategic communication said the university does not comment on personnel matters. We understand the anxieties many of us have with respect to preventing the spread of COVID. The number of COVID positive cases in our campus has been trending much lower in recent months. We continue to provide robust testing services for our students and are encouraging all members of our campus community to get vaccinated. we got to go back to this quote. I'm double vaccinated and boosted. So this doesn't stem from great personal worry. But if, but if Omicron is bad, or if it turns out the vaccine doesn't work quite as well, I could see myself in January taking courses online. He could see himself taking action if one of two things turn out to be so that are not yet so. And what we know of Omicron is that it does appear to be very transmissible, even among the vaccinated, but also you get far less sick. He says it doesn't stem from personal worry, but doesn't it? He's been vaccinated and he's been boosted and he's quitting his job because of a hypothetical scenario that may not come about. And in some quarters, she would be the hero. Y'all, I'm, I listen, I'm sorry he feels this way. I'm sorry COVID is upending his life in this way, but I'm having a real hard time at this point sympathizing with people who they're quitting their job because of hypothetical scenarios, largely driven by press coverage that hasn't been terribly reliable over the past two years when it comes to this this virus. And you've done everything you can do other than live in a hermetically sealed bubble. Yes, I realize there are a lot of young people out there right now who don't take it seriously. I, I get that 100%. I get it. But you've done everything you need to do. I get there are there are professors who get upset because their kids don't want to come to class wearing masks. I get it. And there's a lack of respect for students from students, I think, out there in some cases, for professors who are really adamant about it. And maybe he's got a a, a personal issue. Maybe he's got a uh, immunocompromised stuff, but tell your students. Tell the students. Explain to them. I'd be shocked if they weren't reasonable. And if they're not, well, you're the teacher. Deal with them. But the the, the what-if scenarios that we're dealing with here, we, we still don't know a lot about the Omicron variant, but it appears to be way more widespread. The first case has been detected in Georgia, first case in Mississippi, first case in North Carolina, first case in Minnesota. It's, it's already here. It's already spreading. And Everybody wants to live in fear. Y'all, I just think at this point, live reasonably. Wash your hands. Cover your mouth. Live reasonably. Get the shot. Boost your zinc and vitamin C. Be in the sun more. Get good vitamin D. All of these things we know, by the way, uh, zinc, vitamin C, getting in the sun, producing vitamin D, more so than the vitamin D supplement, sunshine, exposure, actually helps. It actually does. The data is there. It shows it. And then healthy people tend to be less impacted. So if you're unhealthy, try to get healthy. Exercise, lose weight. These things matter. But to quit your job and live in fear because of a hypothetical that may or may not come about of what other people may or may not do seems to me to be a bit extreme. And again, how many people are suffering PTSD from this and can't admit it. I, I just, I don't think this is reasonable. I If, if he wants to make decisions, so be it, but we shouldn't consider him some sort of martyr to a cause, as the opinion columnist seems to want to do. He's not. And we're going to keep having variants. I don't know if you know this or not, but we're going to keep having variants. They're going to keep spreading. Are we going to shut down the whole world forever? In fact, it seems like unless the Omicron variant is hyper, hyper contagious and deadly, we should stop all the lockdowns. We should abandon the masks. We should move on in life. There's no reason to keep the masks on anymore. If you're in a business and your employer is still making you wear masks, you might as well just stop. At this point, it's not doing anybody a bit of good. We have now the comprehensive data from Bangladesh from the Bangladeshi study. Yes, in the middle of a pandemic when hospitals are completely full, the wearing a mask can cut down about 10%. That's good. When your hospitals are completely full, there's limited oxygen, limited ventilators, limited space in the hospital. Wearing a mask, it can certainly help. But at this point, we've got plenty of hospitals who are under capacity, plenty of hospitals who can handle it, and the cloth masks are less effective than the N95 masks. So stop wearing your mask. At this point, it's performance theater. It's like TSA. The TSA, the Transportation Safety Administration, is largely all about safety performance theater, making you feel safe without doing very much to actually make you safe. That's what happens now with a lot of the COVID protocols. We know, for example, from the FOIA requests of the CDC and the FDA that the social distancing aspect was a feel-good, look-good aspect for which there was no science to back it up. How many elevators do you see in businesses around the country right now? Still showing only two people allowed on the elevator, or stand in the corners, don't stand in the middle, don't fill up the elevator. We got to socially distance. Turns out it's bunk. There was a FOIA request to the CDC and the FDA. They admit that they made it up. The six feet social distancing is made up. We now know that masks, at this point, don't do as much good. In fact, we know that the uh, cloth masks that a lot of people are wearing aren't going to be very good at all. So we're doing things to tell ourselves we're keeping ourselves safe, and in reality, we're not. You know what will keep you safe? Living reasonably, but not in fear. Washing your hands, covering your mouth. If you think you're sick at all, don't show up at work. Employers don't punish employees for doing this. I got frustrated um, with the situation the other day with a group of people who uh, one of them had the flu and decided to power through it because they needed him at work. Everybody has the flu now. That's the sort of stuff you would think we would get through a global pandemic and people would realize you're being stupid for thinking yourself so indispensable that you got to power through your sickness and get everybody else sick. We don't need to do that. But then we also don't need to not go to the office anymore. It's bad for our mental health. The whole thing's ridiculous at this point. And the media, of course, pays to scare everyone about COVID. There's no point in it at this point, even with the Omicron variant. It's already been spreading in the wild for some time. People are probably already getting it, and far more people have it in this country than we already know. And what we know is that the people who get it, their symptoms are mild. And the people who are vaccinated and boosted probably aren't going to get it at all. And most of the vaccinated people aren't going to get it. Some will, more will than the Delta variant, but still not the overwhelming number of them. So stop living in fear. Andrew, you're going to be up next on the show. Andrew, welcome to the program. Uh, Hey, how are you, sir? Good, how are you? Uh, um, Real quickly, if, let me, if it's, very spreadable, but not deadly. Isn't that the flu? And have we been living with the flu for the, all our lives? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, the other uh, comment and you is, know, there's there's actually some of the early data out of Europe and South Africa suggests that this uh, Omicron variant is less deadly than the flu. Well, just, we all get get over it. But here's the other, my question. Is this created so Biden can create a scenario where he looks like the hero and he saves from Omicron no, I, I I don't think so. And I know that there are a lot of people speculating this. You know, the Democrats are out there, I mean, more and more openly speculating that it's us that want the Omicron variant, uh, not them, because it'll hurt Biden. The, uh, you got Republicans speculating that Biden wants Omicron because he can look like a hero solving it. Uh, a virus is a virus. A virus does not have a political agenda. I know, crazy to think the virus doesn't have a political agenda. It doesn't. But the people who cover it they have a political agenda. Right now, a lot of those Democrats are claiming it's you and me who want it to, to perpetuate on. In fact, that reminds me Max Boot has a story out today in the Washington Post. And Max Boot himself says that the Republicans are the party of the virus. Why? Because Max Boot, according to Max Boot, respected columnist at the Washington Post, as long as the virus is around, it hurts Joe Biden's polling. Therefore, Republicans want to perpetuate it. Where have I heard that before? Here's me from when? I guess uh, the, this last week, earlier this week. Listen, Charlie, I'm having an internal monologue here with my producer right now that you all get to hear. Charlie, go into your notes app and put down in your notes segment one. December 3rd, 2021 at 1215 PM, because I'm about to say something and I guarantee you, I'm going to replay this in months from now, as this becomes a talking point, y'all, I guarantee you yesterday on, on, uh, MSNBC, John Heileman, who is a very progressive guy, John Heileman, on MSNBC yesterday, December 1st, 2021, John Heilman had this to say on MSNBC. It's because if people follow Fauci, there's a likelier chance that COVID will go away. And if COVID goes away, it's bad right now for Republicans. It's just the math on this, the political math on this is not hard to figure out. You, you see that? This is gonna become the Democratic talking point. Here's the Wall Street Journal reporter today on MSNBC saying the trajectory of the economy is really going to depend on the trajectory of the virus and how people are responding to that. I guarantee you this is going to become orthodoxy on the Democratic side. The only thing I was wrong about is I said it would be months from now. It actually happened within a week. What is December 8th? And that was December 3rd. (laughs) Yep. I knew it was going to happen. Of course, it's going to happen. You know what else is going to happen? Progressives are going to do everything they can to stop the conservative movement in its tracks heading into 2022. You need to become a customer of Patriot Mobile because in addition to all the money you give to political causes, they take a portion of their profits to also advance the conservative movement. From the Second Amendment to the pro-life cause, Patriot Mobile is Christian, conservative, explicitly and unapologetically so. So if you do business with them, you help them fund their profits that they then fund the conservative movement with. And you can get free activation by using my name. What you do is you go to PatriotMobile.com slash Eric, PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You get free activation. They got coverage all across the nation. They use the same towers the other companies use, so you don't even have to worry about the quality of your coverage. 5G, data, voice, you name it. Go to PatriotMobile.com today. You can also call them. They have 100% U.S.-based customer service. You call 972-PATRIOT. You get discounts for being a veteran, first responder, NRA member, teacher, large family with multiple lines. You can save some money and get great service at Patriot Mobile. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan nationwide. They want to be able to help you grow your business. They've been doing it since the early 90s. If you need access to six-figure loans and up, reach out to First Liberty firstlibertyga.com is the website. First Liberty y'all. I, uh, my wife used to work at a law firm. She was for years, the assistant to Kirby Godsey, the then president and then chancellor at Mercer university. But before she worked for him, she worked at a law firm. There's one of the guys in the law firm who would just, he would get flustered. And say, I just can't, I just can't. I gotta, I got something I want to talk about. Just can't. I just can't. <laughs> Just to Charlie and Philip, I'm gonna let them. I'll discuss it with them. I just can't with y'all. Oh my gosh, there are some topics that must be verboten at this moment <laughs> the program. Oh my gosh. All right. Um. Oh gosh. <laughs> um. I'm sorry. I, I can't drag you guys into this. And now I lost my train of thought. Oh, I know what I was gonna say. Uh, the Wall Street Journal. After years of Republicans sending white dudes in pleated pants to try to convince Hispanics to vote Republican, um, they failed miserably. And now, thanks to the Democratic efforts, Hispanic voters on the new Washington Post Wall Street Journal poll, 50-50 split between Republicans and Democrats. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution if you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business. First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no, it's that simple. Look, just do this, spend 10 minutes with them, call them, First Liberty Building and Loan, say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com, that's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. firstlibertyga.com.